Please note, in this episode we discuss themes of slavery and the suffering that it caused, which may be upsetting to some listeners. Seal matrices were quite common, but the fact that this particular seal has an enslaved black African is the bit that is unusual. This is 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts, the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums, and today we'll be looking at the stories behind another object from our collections as we celebrate 100 years of our museums. Today's object was a chance find by a metal detectorist, which proved to be one of the rarest and most poignant objects that he had ever found. It's an object that speaks of wealth, but also of the suffering that that wealth was built on. Today's object is a silver seal matrix featuring an image of an enslaved African person. A seal matrix is a small object, sometimes a piece of jewellery, that is used to stamp a seal onto a document. To seal the document, molten wax was dripped onto the paper and then a matrix would be pressed into it to leave a design in the now hard wax. Although technically the wax itself is the seal and the object used to impress it is the matrix, the two words are often used interchangeably and a seal matrix was, and is still now, often referred to simply as a seal. This matrix or seal is a small object, just over two centimetres across the face that shows the design. If it was complete, it would be around 3 centimetres tall when placed face down. However, the handle, referred to as the apex, is broken on this seal, roughly at the halfway point. It is made of silver, and the face with the design is oval in shape, with a thin border of dots around the edge. In the middle is a side-on bust of a person with short hair. Around their neck is a prominent collar, with a loop at the front. This is a depiction of an enslaved African person. As it is a found object... It's hard to know exactly when or where it came from. Seals have been used for hundreds of years, and their basic design did not change much over that time. Comparing it to other seals suggests that it is probably from the late 17th or the 18th century. We spoke to Matthew Hepworth, the metal detectorist who found the seal, and Sunita Abraham, a lecturer in decolonisation at Lancaster University and a board member of the Lancaster Black History Group, to find out more about the seal and the stories behind it. We began by asking Matthew to recall the day he found the seal, and to tell us about some of the other objects he's found in the very same field as this seal. On the day I found the seal, it was in October 2022. It was on farmland that I've detected for 30 years on and off. I knew it was something special. I knew it was silver. I could see the portrait, but I just couldn't recognise what the portrait represented. Later on, I put the find on social media, ISC experts, the museum. We realised it was depicting an enslaved man, an African man, with iron collars around his neck. And with very little wear and damage, apart from the apex missing, the handle. But I thought this is a special find and it deserves its rightful place in the museum, hence 
myself and landowner donated the find to the Maritime Museum. In March I found my first ever medieval gold ring. It's 15th century, it's iconographic, depicting the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus. It's been reported to the relevant authorities and it's going through the treasure process currently. And also in the same area they found a slave token, late 18th century, and it depicts an enslaved man knelt on one knee with his hand aloft saying, Am I not a man and a brother? But this is not all Matthew has found. In fact, several objects in the museum collections were found by him. I've been detecting 32 years and I've found finds from all our periods of time, from prehistory right the way up to modern times. Myself and friend, we found an unknown Bronze Age burial site on a hilltop overlooking Morecambe Bay. It was excavated by the archaeologists and we found an inverted pot with human bone inside. I found Iron Age artefacts, Roman artefacts and coins. And I've also found recently, myself and David Kizik, 31 Roman silver silica coins. We found a Viking axe silver hoard early 10th century. The initial find was in 1998. We found another section of the original Viking hoard in 2021. The most striking find wasn't silver in the last section of the Viking discovery. It was a lead weight with a bronze insert, but the weight is 200 grams. To have that on a scale, they must have been weighing large pieces of bullion, I would suspect. But I have found wedding rings for people, lost items of jewellery. It's a lovely feeling to return that treasured item. Every item you find, there's always a story behind them. And it's just fascinating to, to think about. So let's get back to our seal matrix and find out from Sunita Abraham about the Lancaster Black History Group and how Matthew's finding of the seal added another story to a project that they were running. So Lancaster Black History Group was founded in June 2020 after George Floyd's murder. A group of people came together and felt very strongly that we needed to take that moment and make it into a movement. So Geraldine Onek and Rebecca Nabel, who are the co-founders, pulled together a group of people, including me, to be part of this initiative. Our remit is to fight racism through education. So in order to do this, one of the first things we did was the Slavery Family Trees Community Research Project. A lot of the research is about trauma. It's about exploitation. It's about difficulties and dehumanization. And that is very important to highlight. But it's also very important to highlight that these black enslaved Africans never willingly accepted this. And at every stage, there were people who rebelled. These are connected histories. Our history in Lancaster is connected to global stories of migration, of trade, and of the growth of Lancaster from an agricultural place to, by the end of the 18th century, the fourth largest slave trading port in Britain for a period in time. At the end of this project, we felt that it's very important to communicate these findings. And so we worked with Lancaster Museums to have an exhibition. It was just four days before the launch of this exhibition that we heard that Matthew had found the seal and that he'd agreed for it to be shared as part of the exhibition. We asked Anita to tell us a little bit about why the design on the seal is so significant and what it might tell us about its owner. It's unusual and remarkable because it has what we feel is clearly a black enslaved 
African on it because it has very distinctive features, what we would say almost caricatures to make it clear that this is an enslaved black person. But certainly the collar is pronounced enough to be pretty clear that this is not a free person. Now, people would usually choose a seal design which they thought represented them or their family and usually one that was unique among the people that they knew. Therefore, using the seal would both seal a document and authenticate that it came from you. Seal matrices were quite common amongst the upper classes in Britain, but the fact that this particular seal has an enslaved black African is the bit that is unusual. There are only that we know of two other seal matrices of this type. One is a seal that's been found in Norfolk and we don't have too much information about it. The other one was found in Shropshire and it's called the Sheriff Hales Seal Matrix. And we have a wonderful article that's been written by Peter Reevil and he says these objects declare both who the owner is and for what they stand. Either the individual owns plantations, owns enslaved Africans, or is involved in some way in the trading of enslaved Africans. That would be the most probable reason to have this. Another thing that Peter talks about is how the depiction of an enslaved person on the seal reflects broadly European society's position of power and the British Empire's normalization of the exploitation of others for monetary gain. He says by using the seal, its owner may have wished to depict themselves perhaps as an erudite businessman with a diverse financial portfolio that allowed them to supplement their family's position of wealth and privilege by their investment in either the enslavement of African people or the products of their forced labour. So this is really crucial to our research because what we are saying here is that we're talking about the bilateral trade the generation of wealth, the slave economies, the slavery business that is allowing textiles, iron, food products to be taken from Lancaster either to West Africa or to the colonies. And what we get back is commodities like sugar, like cotton, like rum, like mahogany, which propel the business interests of people in Lancaster, which enable merchants to rise up the ranks, then they are able to do other things as a result. For example, invest in Lancaster Canal. So we just have to look through the list of people who are investing in Lancaster Canals to see the link between these families and the growth of canals, which in turn is crucial for things like the Industrial Revolution. So we can't really talk about things like the Industrial Revolution without linking it back to these connected histories, particularly Lancaster's own links to transatlantic slavery. Because this is a found object that was most likely lost by someone while they were out, we'll never know exactly when this seal is from, or who owned it. However, we do know it may well have belonged to somebody in the upper classes of Lancaster society who had some sort of involvement in the transatlantic slave trade, or the products that it produced. 
With that in mind, we asked Anita to tell us a little bit about how the families they researched fitted into this picture. If we are to look at the families that we were researching, Rawlingson, Satterthwaite, Lindo, Bond and Booker, Hind, Gillow and Gregson, they're just a really small handful of names that link to transatlantic slavery. Places where you would be able to get links to names would be the amazing Slave Voyages database, University College London's Legacies of Slave Ownership database, and the Melinda Elder book, The Slave Trade and the Economic Development of 18th Century Lancaster. We're really talking about an economy here where almost everything that you touch has a link. So for example, some of these families, they owned plantations in the Caribbean. They also owned enslaved black Africans. They had relatives who were managers or overseers over there or factors, people who were involved in the trading of enslaved black Africans. You also had people who were ship captains or ship owners between 1700 and 1800 from Lancaster. Over 100 ships sailed to the west coast of Africa to trade and enslave black Africans and over 30,000 enslaved black Africans were linked to our Lancaster families. The other way in which we have these links to these families is through the commodities that are being brought back. So, for example, the furniture makers, Gillows, a lot of their furniture is made from a wood called mahogany, which does not grow in this country. This mahogany was cut and transported by enslaved black Africans who were living in very, very exploitative, dehumanizing conditions. And so it has that link to transatlantic slavery. Cotton, for example, Lancashire and Lancashire mills are known across the world for their work on cotton. But where does this cotton come from? This cotton is coming from the plantations in America, the Caribbean, being harvested and grown in extremely difficult conditions for enslaved black Africans. So the economies here in Britain are actually developing, growing and benefiting because of the exploitation of free labour in the Caribbean and in the Americas. The Bonds are just one example of a Georgian Lancastrian family who were involved in the transatlantic slave trade and profited even after slavery was outlawed. The Bond family is important because they owned plantations and they owned enslaved black Africans. In fact, they co-owned some of these plantations with another family like the Rawlingson family. In 1833, when slavery is finally abolished, there is a scheme that the British government set up to compensate people for the loss of their human commodities. The government took the largest loan it had ever taken, which worked out to about £20 million at that point in time, £17 billion roughly around in our currency, to compensate this already wealthy group of aristocrats and landowners and upper classes. This is recorded in the Legacies of Slave Ownership database at the University College London. It's a free database that anyone can access. And if you look at the name Bond, you can see they were one of the largest people in Lancaster in terms of the compensation that they received. That compensation, of course, is money, which would then be used by the family to develop and to further enrich themselves. But even more important for us to remember is that the enslaved 
Africans who were the ones who did all the work and it was their labor, they did not receive any compensation. In fact, they were expected to work for a further four to six years for these very same masters in economies where it was very difficult for you to go and leave and go to another place because the neighboring island, for example, in the Caribbean was similar. They didn't have anything that they owned that was theirs. Before she left us, Sunita told us about the other projects that the Lancaster Black History Group's research has led on to. One of the projects that evolved out of our findings was a collaboration with Lancaster Sewing Cafe, where they created this amazing banner, over a thousand hours of work. And that is part of a travelling exhibition now. We hope that every person who comes to see it will have an insight. Another example is our collaboration with the Judges Lodgings Museum and our Black Lancastrians project, where we have used stories of black enslaved people and particularly runaway slaves and we have commissioned Leila Harris to visualize these people in terms of portraits and we're also working as part of Facing the Past with groups like Lancaster Priory which has many links to the families we were researching looking to see how to bring those stories to the fore to acknowledge this link that we have in doing so we are hoping that we're facing the past but we're also hoping to transform the future. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. Please do listen to some of our other episodes where we look at objects from stone axes to super swimming stadiums.